welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm Josh Long. I'm David Bax. Tyler Smith is on assignment. Josh, uh, how are you? I feel like you haven't been on the show in a while, but that's probably not true because I think you're one of Josh or one of uh, Tyler's go tos when I'm not there. <laughs> so you've probably been on the show more recently than I remember. It's possible. I do feel like I did one recently, but I honestly can't remember what the last one I did was. But well, I, the last I, one that I did with you was, was you were on was the Jean Paul Belmondo uh, uh, yeah. profile. I think um, that was the last one I did, but that okay. was that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I I, I really enjoy um, uh, preparing for for the 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 profiles and and you know cramming a bunch of movies. I'm doing that right now for our next profile, which uh, we don't announce ahead of time, but. Uh-huh. Um, uh, anyone, uh, honestly, anyone who follows me on Letterboxd could probably figure out who our next profile is. You can see a bunch of movies uh, with, with the same person. But um, uh, yeah, the, the Belmondo one was fun. What's that? I said, that's what I'm going to do next is check out your letterbox so I can know that. Yeah. Cause I wanna, now I'm curious. Yeah. Uh, well, we have, we have, uh, um, uh, thank you for filling in for, for Tyler while he's on assignment. Uh, we have a, 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 a great guest and should have, should be a great conversation. Uh, but first I want to tell you about, not you, Josh, you, the listener, about tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Uh, Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Today I was using them to catch up on what. La- Last week, last Friday, uh, uh, albums come out on Fridays now. I have to like, if I could go back in time and tell myself, hey, you're not going to believe this. But at a certain point, new albums are not going to come out on Tuesdays. They're going to come out on Fridays. It's still weird to me. It's been like over a decade and it's still weird to me that Friday is new music day. But last Friday was a big day uh, for hip hop, which is, uh, as I always say, I try to listen. I try to stay up. I'm not like an expert, but um, uh but I listened, I spent the day listening to new hip hop albums, all of which I really liked. Uh, J.I.D. is the rapper, or sometimes it's Jid. I don't know if he says J.I.D. or Jid all the time. His album is called The Forever Story. Um, and then uh, uh, Rock, Marciano, Rock Marciano and The Alchemist uh, had an album an album come out called The Elephant Man's Bones. And then Mac Homie or Mac Homie. See, I don't know any of these things. Uh, <laughs> had an album called, called Dollar Menu 4. And I guess that's more of a mixtape uh, based on that t- title. But anyway, all of them are great. Like, uh, like uh, uh, all of them are hi- potential hip hop album of the year, like top 10 list uh, uh, contenders. Uh, so there, it was a, a great day of listening to music and it sounded, it was even greater because it sounded so great on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds. Tweakedaudio.com is where you go. I already said this part. They're available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com, but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off, off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Josh, let's get into it, shall we? All right. Why don't you know what? Why don't you introduce our guest since you are working uh, in such close concert with him lately? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Well, not, uh, not geographically. We're on opposite sides of the country, but yeah. right now we are we are very far from <laughs> yeah. each other. But actually, even and by LA standards, we're we're a little bit distant from each other. Uh, 
but uh, coming coming all come to us all the way from Long Beach, California. It's uh, Matt Warren's on the show today to talk about a project that uh, he uh, wrote and will be directing. Brought to me uh, initially just to um, to put together a, a schedule and a budget for him. That's a thing that I that I do as a first AD, and I was like, "This is a pretty cool script. I would love to talk with you more about it when it starts to get uh, get further along." And uh, now it's a little bit further along. And uh, Matt, if you want to start talking about that a little bit. Be great. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, David. I'm uh, so excited to to be here. I I recall the last time I was on Battleship Retention. It was when I was in Josh's guest uh, co-host seat when my friend uh, Luai from Film Independent was here to talk about uh, uh, Arab film and Arab cinema. Arab cinema. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. That was, that was a, a that was fun a fun episode. time. Yeah. That was before those, you know, before the pandemic and everything, when we were still um, insisting on all our episodes being in person. Yes, um, and that was always particularly weird. When t- in times when Tyler was on assignment, we still recorded at his house. So, mm-hmm. like you and and Luai and I were all sitting in the Battleship Retention Studio, and Tyler was not around. Uh, yeah, we did. It's, so, it's weird the that window, there are people think, who like turn off the. We had to Jimmy open the window and turn off the, uh, <laughs> right. the home security alarms, I recall. And it's just funny to me that there are people who have been to Tyler's house that Tyler has never met. And that, that's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, how are, truly uh, how, how, how are you, how have you been doing? How are things in the LBC, Matt? Oh, there's so much drama, so much drama down here. <laughs> um, how are they doing? Are there real housewives down here? Probably that's more like Orange <laughs> County, right? Um, but oh yeah, exactly. uh, there's Orange County. There's uh, and there's Beverly Hills. Um, now there's Dubai. That's the new one. Well, uh, what really blew my mind, and, and we're going to talk about my uh, my Utahness. I'm sure as we talk about this project a little bit more. But the thing that really blew my mind was when it was brought to my attention that there was a real Housewives of Salt Lake City, which seems. Yeah. Um, both utterly bizarre and, and, and totally perfect at the same time. Cause there is, there's weird money in Utah for sure. And where there's weird money, there are real housewives, I think. So do you know, uh, where <laughs> we joked before and about getting off on digressions, we're already off on one. Uh, do you know right. this true, t- this true TV travel show called 101 places to party before you die? Yeah, with uh, uh, John Gabrus, right? John Gabrus and Adam Pelly, and they just yeah. did Utah. They just did—is it Moab or Moab? Moab, yeah, and that—that that is where that's that's where we're going to be shooting in uh, a few short months here. So, oh wow, that, uh, that very I, much I, dovetails. Oh uh, yeah, so I, I need to watch that episode. So, so Josh and I know where to where to party before we die during the making yeah. of this film. Well, I, I mean, like the, it's so interesting to see like, yeah, real housewives and see this like places to party because that's never been Utah's like reputation, you know? Uh, I mean, I've been, I've, I say I've been to Utah, but I've been to Sundance five times. I don't know if that's like, yeah. that's like saying, you know, I've been to seven, like 15 Comic-Cons. I don't know how well I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I can say I've been to San Diego. I've been to, maybe yeah, I've yeah. been to San Diego twice, but I've been to Comic-Con 15 times. <laughs> Yeah, you don't, you don't bleed Padres brown and gold. Is it fun to see Utah, your, uh, your, your childhood uh, stomping grounds, uh, explored in new ways? 
represented in media? Well, representation matters. I think we can all agree. Um, yeah. But, and that's really who's uh, been suffering from a lack of representation is the Utans. The, the, the Utans. Yeah. Well, I is, like saying it, Utans. I know it's Utans, but I like you. <laughs> I was going to breeze past it. I'm like, <laughs> a fucking idiot. Um, it's like, Scratching your neck. You know, it, my, uh, my two kill, my, my, uh, Steve yeah. Buscemi and Billy Madison to kill yeah. list. Yeah. Um, no, you know, the, I feel like a lot of states feel like this, but Utah, it's a very weird state and it's pop and people have kind of caught on to its, its weirdness in a lot of popular media recently. Um, there was, you know, under the banner of heaven, which was that, uh, pretty good adaptation of the John Krakauer book that, uh, was very, um, so, so we're one of, uh, Josh and I, one of our co-producers on this, this project, our, our, uh, our friend, Aaron Nelson. I think we can he, say the um, name of the project, right? Um, I don't think we have yet, but I, I assume it's in the episode description that people have already yeah. seen and committed to tattoos on their brain. But, uh, I, I wasn't sure if we were getting into a more formal place where we'd be sort of introducing the, the concept that we're talking okay. about. Okay. Yeah. Let's do that. A feature film project. But, um, I, I mean, this is all germane to the, the project and a lot of the yeah, themes yeah. and stuff, but so sorry. So uh, you're a co-producer. Oh, just, you know, he, he sort of, uh, comes a little bit more from that weird sort of, um, you know, he has sort of extended family members, uh, who, uh, have sort of escaped from those fundamentalist Mormon, uh, communities in Utah. So, you know, this is not abstract stuff for, for most Utahns and even most, um, you know, mainstream Mormons or, or non-Mormon Utahns like, like myself. Um, just, there's kind of just this weird culty energy in, in the state and a lot of sort of, um, uh, sort of mysticism that that kind of overlaps from the the religious culture there and then a lot of the sort of indigenous um uh spiritual traditions in in the state to mm. kind of all all kind of commingling and i've uh, you know in in the you sort of take when you grow up in a place you sort of take it for granted a bit but with the sort of 20 years of distance i have now um not having lived in Utah full time, I've, I've really come to, to be more and more fascinated with it um, as, as just a, a place on the map. And it, I feel like it has been in uh, more films recently and where that sort of weirdness is, is being tapped into and taken, uh, you know, taken advantage of. Um, and that's certainly, uh, you know, Josh and I are co-producing this, uh, feature film together that I wrote called delicate arch. And that's certainly, uh, you know, part of what is informing this project is that sort of, uh, weird intermountain mysticism. Yeah. Was it, um, yeah, I want to get into the mysticism, but I also, you mentioned growing up in Utah as a non-Mormon, were you like the one kid in class or how, like, like, was it mostly Mormons that you went to school with or, 
Well, I had a, I had a sort of a unique experience because I, I grew up in Park City, um, which you've been to around five times, it sounds like. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, but I, I, I wouldn't recognize it if there weren't like <laughs> Sundance shuttles and, and, yeah. the and all the, all the pibs, which is what I learned about the first time oh, yeah, I went the, there. The, the PIVs. Yeah. Yeah. People, um, people in black. That's what, uh, how, that's how the park Cityans know that the, uh, uh, industry is in town. They're all wearing black coats. Exactly. <laughs> I, think I learned that from your brother. The first time I got to, uh, I went to park city. <laughs> uh, should we mention that you have typically not, I think every time you've been out there, you typically will stay with my brother and his no, every uh, time all, f- all five uh, times I've always uh, stayed with, with your brother. Although I think only two or three of those times was your brother in town. Yeah. So I, so yeah, I, 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 haven't been to Sundance since 2019, but I don't think I've seen your brother since like 2017. <laughs> I, he, uh, he, yeah, he's a sailor and he works in, he's a merchant Marine. So he's mm-hmm. often off on uh, top secret missions to yeah. do like, um, naval spy shit or something. I don't know, <laughs> whatever they do, but, but yeah, so, I, so it, but anyways, growing up in like park city is sort of like, um, uh, I, not a blue dot because it. I think it's actually fairly conservative, but it is. It is more um, sort of people. Uh, it's a resort town, and so mm-hmm. it, attr- it attracts people who aren't native to that town. It's um, more secular. Like, more secular, yeah. And I think, like a lot, you know, like sort of. Um, I don't want to say Los Angeles, but sort of like our, uh, you know, the, the version of Los Angeles that the three of us represent it, uh, it, uh, has a lot of, uh, transplants, um, Mm -hmm. from, from other places who sort of find their, their way to park city. Uh, and then, and then park cities is fairly nearby Salt Lake city, which is the state capital. And obviously the big, you know, the quote unquote big city, in Utah and kind of like all big cities, particularly ones that have uh, a major university um, located in them. Uh, Salt Lake is a bit of a blue dot in a, in a red state. Um, it, but it, that is more sort of a locals town than Park City is. But that, that that's just to say that, no, I was actually, I would say we actually had, the unique experience growing up in Utah where uh, Mormons and LDS people were more the minority than, mm. than not at our school and sort of in our neighborhoods uh, in Park City. So I want to get back to the question of mysticism. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, can you put more of a finger on Utah mysticism and how it differ, differs perhaps from like the, the California desert mysticism that you, we associate with like, you know, mm-hmm. Joshua tree and in, in, in that area. Well, I think a lot of it is, is, you know, rooted in the early Mormon settlers and the controversial early history of that church. And, um, and the fact that, and this is not unique to Mormonism, uh, I think, you know, I'm, 
I'm Catholic and I grew up Catholic and we obviously have no shortage of like weird occult shit, like <laughs> baked in to, to, to our practices. But, uh, they're, you know, it, the fact that it's like a new religion, but not a super new religion where it can kind of be dismissed as, um, you know, an aberration, yeah, you know, it's it's older than Scientology, but has some of, you know, I, not not getting into the the theology of of either uh, organization, which I don't really understand and wouldn't pretend to, but it, you know, it has it has a bit of the skepticism surrounding surrounding it that um, that Scientology does, but like two hundred years added on yeah. top of it, so, yeah. Um, and, and, and more embedded, uh, in, uh, local culture and government and, um, and, you know, frankly, a lot more successful and popular than, uh, you, a, an organization like Scientology. Yeah. Uh, do you think this is going to make me sound like a, a weird, like, uh, new agey, someone who's like, uh, believes in like occult stuff, which I generally don't. Um, but do you think that the mysticism you describe in, in Utah and, and that sort of spiritual weirdness, do you think that, are you saying that exists because that's where the Mormons settled? Or do you think the Mormons settled because Utah somehow attracts that? I don't know. It's a, it's a good question. I, I think, I think, you know, I, I don't necessarily believe either that there's something inherent in like the earth in that part of the world that, you know, draws a weird energy towards it. But I think it's more like a weird energy that's placed into the earth by other people who, um, you know, settle there and end up there. But, you know, there, there's all sorts of weird things like that's where the, you know, the transcontinental railroad came together. And so it's kind of the meeting of mm. the East and the West of, of the continent and um, immigrants uh, and, and honestly like drifters from both sides of the continent ending up there because of that. And, um, and like, like all sort of deeply red States, it's very individualistic in a lot of ways while also having this tension of the church, which, you know, asks that you uh, submerge your identity in, into a larger collective. Um, so, so there's like a real interesting tension there. And it, 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 the, the combination of a, a lot of different things, and it's not solely um, Mormonism uh, or the LDS church. I, I think it's, I, I think it's just a place that historically has, drawn a lot of uh strange personalities to it because it provides room to sort of uh not be noticed there but um but then it has these other aspects sort of baked into the whole culture um and that, uh, i want to bring josh into this uh so first question josh have you been to utah or have, <laughs> have you been to utah you've been to utah as a result of being a producer on delicate arch and if not or if so had you been to utah before that now i'm just hearing about utah for the first time <laughs> this is, uh, no um, i actually i had visited 
I haven't been there much, but I, I had been to several of the national parks in, in south, uh, southeastern Utah and loved them, actually, when I was in I don't know, middle school or high school. So uh, I've been wanting to get back at some point and, and actually haven't for a while. So uh, now I'm, I'm excited to be, be getting back for, for the production of this film. And I haven't been there yet for any of our, uh, we've done some, you know, prep stuff, some scouts and things like that. I haven't been able to make it out for that yet, but I'm, I'm looking forward to spending the time out there again. It's, it's, I mean, for those who aren't familiar with it, so in, uh, you know, here I am, the, the guy who doesn't know as much about Utah talking about it. So you can correct me where I'm wrong, Matt, but uh, um. I believe Zion National Park, uh, Arches National Park, and Bryce National Park are all kind of close to each other in south uh, southeastern Utah, and um, I, I they're they're beautiful if you're unaware of them and um, haven't visited them yet. I I would highly recommend. So um, yeah, I, I'm I love one of the favorite things. My favorite things about the job that I have is getting to every now and then travel to shoot somewhere that's, you know, a little bit off the beaten path or somewhere that, uh, that you might not go to otherwise. And so getting to film in, in cool areas of the part of the country and places that you, uh, you know, might not get to spend as much time as I get to as part of a film crew. That's, uh, that's something I always look forward to. And, um, that's one of the things that has me really excited about this project. One of many. So, um, as you said, Matt gave you the script initially just to like plan a, a budget and schedule. Um, but something about the script was you, you uh, really spoke to you. Was did you see this? Uh, I keep coming back to this like haunting mysticism, spiritual mysticism. Is that something that you found in the in the screenplay? That the the mysticism definitely is a big part of the screenplay. Um, and I think that that wasn't necessarily the first thing that drew it to me. And I. I I think at least on first read didn't necessarily make a, uh, a distinction between, like you said, the, the, the desert horror that we like California desert horror that, that maybe is a little bit more familiar to people. Um, and, um, and the, uh, the, the Utah mystery, but, um, uh, I, uh, lost my train of thought. So what did, what did, uh, grab you about this uh this screenplay and you mentioned horror are we saying uh definitively that this is a a film in the horror genre uh, yes I, uh okay I, oh yeah sorry josh i was gonna i was gonna jump in uh and also josh is being far too far too generous i basically begged him to please come be a producer on this because i knew he would <laughs> whip us into shape and 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 make it happen so he's saying all these nice things like he read the script and wanted to be a part of it. I, I was the one setting up the lunch and saying like, Josh, please, please come save my movie, make it a reality. <laughs> You're the only one who can, um, you know, I, yes. I, add, no, please, Josh. <laughs> I think I was just going to say, I, uh, I, you know, I read a lot of scripts in, in, as my job and there are a lot of ones that I read and I, I'm like, Oh, this is, you know, this is fine, but I'll, I'll work on it. Um, you know, there's, I, I have the benefit of my work often not ending up on screen. So a lot of the times I can get away with, uh, if, if, you know, if I don't love the subject matter or it's not like my type of movie necessarily, um, I, I have no qualms working on it. Um, but what do you mean by your work doesn't end up on screen? Like literally you are not present on screen? No. So, uh, I mean, I know that, but is that what you mean by that? 
Not exactly. Uh, so if I'm, if I'm working on a film that I, I think the script is terrible, <laughs> um, that may reflect poorly with the final, pro- the final product may reflect poorly on like the, the director of photography or the production designer I or some other people, because their work is going to be affected by what the script is or, you know, what the budget restraints are, things like that. Um, my work is really as an assistant director, if it gets done, if the movie gets made, like I did my job. So if it looks terrible, but it got made, the AD did a good job. Um, <laughs> but you know, uh, the, for, for a lot of, a lot of the departments, their, their work is much more on screen. Um, so that's why they, you know, other departments may be sometimes a little bit pickier about the work that they would take. Um, right. So, uh, um, so whenever I get one that I actually, I read, I'm like, Oh, this is actually kind of cool. Like I, I feel like I might <laughs> want to watch this movie or, or I want to, you know, there, there's something behind this that's more interesting than just what's on the page. I'm always excited about that. And, and that's what, what delicate arch was for me. Um, I, uh, which is funny because also I'm not a horror. I think I've talked about this on the show before, but I'm not really a horror fan. I don't watch a lot of horror movies. I'm a little bit of uh, a, a chicken when it comes to, especially like supernatural horror movies. There's a bunch of them that I'm just like, I'm just never going to see that. And you can, you can tell me what happens in it. Cause I'm, I'm, it's going to get in my head and I'm going to get scared. And, uh, and, uh, yeah. But you've worked on a lot of horror. I have. And, uh, does that make it easier to watch? Definitely. Because once you're there on set, you're like, this is all very silly. Like the, the, the as far as like the grotesqueness of it, or like, like we all have fun with the, you know, blood splurting all over and things like that. Like yeah. that's a blast to do on set. You know, so, watch- so I'm saying when you watch another, a different horror movie that you didn't work on, does your familiarity with the making of horror movies make it easier? It, it depends on certain things. Like when it comes to gore stuff, especially, I feel like that doesn't bother me so much anymore. Um, and sometimes with like creature stuff too, but it's like supernatural stuff usually just gets me. Okay. It gets in my head. Um, but uh, anyway, and, and there is, well, I guess I won't say too much about what kind of horror is in, is a delicate arch. I'm, I'll either leave that up to Matt or if he wants to leave the mystery. Well, yeah. Let's get into what, uh, because I, you have a very fun, like Instagram that uh, I think is a very good at like building the sort of mystery Sarah McLaughlin style. Um, <laughs> of, of what oh, is. <laughs> That's what we're really going for. Yeah. Um, I need to do, uh, donate to a cat charity now. <laughs> uh, what uh, what can you tell us about Delicate Arch, the the movie? Well, it it is a horror movie, and I'll say one of the fun one of the funny things about doing this on Zoom is I fell into like work meeting mode where when David you were asking is it a horror movie and then we kind of got off on something else I almost put in the chat yes it is a horror movie <laughs> just just to like. <laughs> sort of like sidebar like meeting style um <laughs> yeah we've all, we all become very used to to zoom <laughs> meetings over the past couple of years um but yeah it very much uh is a horror film um and it's a postmodern film and a metaphysical horror film so um we, we talk a lot about this sort of mysticism of the location. Um, but the way that mysticism is represented on screen is sort of um, a fracturing set of realities that are uh, represented in different uh, film formats. So 
it's, mm-hmm. you, you know, I'm a, I'm like, I'm like scaredy cat Josh over here. I'm a big horror guy and a horror fan, but I also have like m- more than just fanboying out over the genre. I have like a real, uh, I have like a real academic interest in the genre and its mechanics and, um, what it does to audiences and what it means honestly to be, um, uh, the, uh, an audience participating in a horror movie. Um, and, and so the, a lot of that was the idea at the center of the, the film as I was, uh, writing it, um, which on its surface is kind of a simple story about, uh, four, college kids from the university of Utah probably won't say that in the film, Probably can't get the rights. Uh, but they are fleeing, um, sort of, uh, an ecological disaster in Salt Lake and to wait it out, they head down to, uh, Moab, um, and set up, uh, a base camp sort of, uh, in the shadow of the titular delicate arch, which, um, if, if people aren't familiar with that, it's an actual, uh, sort of geological, uh, arch that is pretty iconic and pretty recognizable. If you've ever seen a Utah license plate, you've probably seen it because it's on the license plates. Um, and you know, there's some discussion about, um, there's some discussion about, uh, whether, you know, this arch represents some sort of doorway into a different state of being. Um, and then what's so really, it's like Outlander. <laughs> I've never seen Outlander. Yeah, Should I cancel this entire project now? It's too similar to Outlander. Oh shoot! I just realized that. Yeah, Matt, I think we should scrap it. I think we have we have a we have a lot of like classy sex that your parents will like. So yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, it, it's funny. Cause so I mentioned that it's, uh, it, it has these postmodern aspects to it. Um, and the other thing about this group of college kids is that they're all amateur filmmakers. Um, so they, while they're camping, they sort of decide to take advantage of, uh, the time that they have down there to, uh, work on, um, their own little horror project um but and this doesn't even really spoil anything but uh they sort of realize that they get into a situation where they realize that when they uh construct a scenario to film and they're sort of inserting a layer of reality below them um there's also a layer of reality that is being inserted above them so as they're sort of telescoping in to this mm. secondary reality of the film within the film, um, we're also telescoping back out the other direction. Uh, and then eventually they sort of begin to perceive, you, you know, perceive the fact that as they are watching the characters they're creating, people are now watching them mm. as characters. And that's um, sort of the, sort of the pitch or like the core idea of the film. And this is uh, where I'm guessing that's where the different formats you mentioned come in. Yeah. And we're, we're 
filming in three, um, 3d, <laughs> not 3d. I wish. Ooh, 360, uh, 360 video. Um, uh, that hurt. I just saw the card counter for the first time. I really yeah. loved the use of the 360 cameras in those, uh, in the, great flashback yeah. scenes. Yeah. I was like, well, I was like, well, there's a cool visual idea. Good, good yeah. Job, very Paul. disorienting. Yeah. Um, but we we're using, um, sort of normal, uh, you know, uh, we've divided into three realities we're calling alpha beta and zeta and the alpha reality is sort of the main place that that is essentially like a contemporary normal movie cin- contemporary cinematic uh presentation um and uh, you know a modern prestige horror sort of feeling um and then we telescope into what we're calling the beta reality, which is uh, material the characters are filming of themselves using this old um, uh, local, like local TV news broadcast camera. So it's kind of got that fuzzy VHS eighties, eighties look to it in the Academy broadcast ratio. Uh, And then there is a, a further reality in from that called the Zeta reality, which uh, is basically smartphone footage that is mediated with AR filters. Um, you know, like you'd add crazy filters to um, TikTok videos or, or Instagram videos, Instagram story videos. And, and so we're kind of double stacking a variety of different filters to sort of create um, like a lo-fi, but sort of psychedelic effect on that level, uh, which is all, all germane to what's going on in the story. I feel like uh, this is going to sound like a, <laughs> we talked before we started recording about uh, not making this an in- infomercial, but I feel like the infomercial host where I'm saying like, you're really selling me on this movie. <laughs> uh, it's, it's true. Like, it, it sounds very, uh, very interesting. Um, I wanted to get into, so we were talking about that. Uh, uh, what is the, I, I guess I have two lines of questioning. Uh, cause I th- I'm sure some of the listeners would like to just know what is the process of starting from scratch on an independent film first hire Josh. <laughs> That's the first hire time. Josh always. And the rest of it well, comes together on time. <laughs> it, it's an interesting question because it's, it's like, how far back do you want to go? Because, uh, a lot of it, you know, I I'll start at a point where, I already have some of the advantages um, I, I've been able to to uh, to have uh, thanks to my career to date, which is uh, working for Film Independent, um, as well as um, uh, My Damn Channel, which uh, was the digital content uh, company I worked at before um, my current position at. at Film Independent, which, if people don't know, is a nonprofit um, film arts organization that does uh, that sort of supports the the careers of, of filmmakers all over all over the world, um, and has a lot of great programs. Many of which I'm attempting to take 
uh, advantage of. So uh, I'll start. They also kinda, do the independent spirit awards. That's yeah. That's yes, kind of that's, the first thing that most people probably know about them. Yeah. Sorry. I always forget that. Cause I'm, I'm so we're not in spirit awards season currently. So I'm like, <laughs> I don't have to worry about that yet, but yes, the, the film independent uh, spirit awards are probably the thing that uh, we at film independent are, are best known for. Uh, and that is really the, the big fundraiser that kind of powers everything that we do uh, all year, all year long. Um, and uh, I think I have my first spirit words meeting of the season on the books for later this week. So thank you for reminding me that I need to prepare for that, David. Uh, hey, it's award season is starting. We got Telluride and Venice and TIFF all about to happen. Like my favorite time of the year and probably your least favorite time of the year is just about to take <laughs> off. Uh, not my least favorite. One of my least favorites, maybe. <laughs> um, but, but so, 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 I mean, we could like, you know, do a womb to tomb where I, I talk about how you even get to film independent in the first place, but we can skip all that and just s- start with, um, you know, basically uh, 2020 and um, it, it wasn't necessarily that necessarily that the script for delicate arch was my COVID project. Cause I had already sort of been working on it, but um, it, was kind of when I really focused down on it, which I, I, I feel like I made it my uh, COVID project, which is weird because I was actually working through throughout, um, you know, early lockdown and everything. So it wasn't like I had that much more free time than I normally would have had. But, um, you know, we all know that that was like a big snow globe that just kind of shook everything yeah. up. Um, and I assume were you, and, working, you were working from home, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. So you didn't so have least, the commute from from the LBC to film independence, uh, Beverly Hills offices. No, I didn't get to, uh, I went, I went weeks without driving past the Randy's donuts on the four Oh five. It was crazy. <laughs> it was a staple of my commute. It was looking at the big Brown donut at the airport. Uh, do you know my, this is, has nothing to do with anything, but my weirdest thing with, uh, driving an early, um, uh, COVID I went four months without driving at night. Oh, wow. And I like, wasn't intentional. Yeah. It was just like, I was only like going to the grocery store during the day. And then there was one like mm-hmm. July of 2020. My friend was like, Hey, do you want to, you guys want to do like a distanced outdoor, like backyard hang. And like, so we were hanging out in their, in their backyard and like the sun went down and I was like, Oh wow, I have to drive home and I haven't driven in the dark <laughs> since March. <laughs> that was the weirdest thing. That may have happened to me also. I haven't even thought of that, but yeah, like for that first long while, like you didn't go out very much. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that was a digression. Uh, but you were working on this uh, in, during COVID. And, yeah. And I eventually got the scripts to a place where I was pretty happy with it. Um, and I was thinking, well, maybe I can find, maybe I can do what I've been trying to do for, you know, 15 years without much success so far, which is like try to find a you know, place that wants to buy it and, hand it off to someone else to make. Um, and I really give credit to uh, a, a director friend of mine named Will Slocum, who uh, encouraged me to just sort of make it myself. And he's like, all you got to do is hire a DP and bada bing, bada boom, you have a movie. So, um, uh, yeah, I was going to get to like um, uh, asking you, you hired uh, Josh as your AD, I guess, but also producer. You are the AD as mm-hmm. well, right, Josh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 
Um, uh, and, and so, and Josh, you've just acknowledged it in the chat, uh, uh, work meeting style that you do have to have to bounce. Um, but, uh, real quick, I'm curious what, uh, this is a question for both of you as producer and AD, what input Josh, have you had in recruiting creative like department heads or stuff like that? Or is that, is, is Matt as the auteur here completely in, in, in charge of that element element of it? I mean, I, from my perspective, I'd say that definitely varies show to show. I, I personally always try to make sure that the, the, the director has like at least final say, and I, I try very much to present ideas or, or things or, you know, potential solutions or things like that. And if the director is just like, no, I don't want that, then, you know, for good or ill, Ill it's it's the director's movie, ultimately. Um, I think so far we're very much on the same page, which is awesome. I think that's uh, that's cool. But for this one, I was able to to bring on our, our director of photography, Antonio Cisneros, who's a, a guy that I worked with, a super talented, um, up and coming, I guess I'd say, uh, uh, director of photography. He's like a, a wizard with like, a lot of the technical stuff and lenses and things, which makes him a great person for like some of this format stuff that we're working on. Um, so, but that was someone that I was able to just bring in because of somebody I've worked with before. Um, I, I'd say it's not super typical for me to bring a lot of uh, department heads on. I think I always have people I can recommend if mm-hmm. you know, depending on what stage the project's at, but uh, uh, I'm sure Matt, you can speak oh. to this too. Oh. Well, I was going to say, Josh, you also brought on our casting director, Cara Sullivan. Yes, yes. I forgot because Cara just came on recently with us. That's awesome. Yeah, Cara, I've, I've worked with for – when we started uh, the first meeting we had with her on the phone, I was like, I'd forgotten how many times we've actually worked together. She mentioned some other projects in the past, and I was like, yeah, it's been a long time. Um, I, I, love, I love that phone call with Cara because um, she basically hired herself um, over the course of the phone call. Josh and I hopped <laughs> off our initial chat and we just texted each other like, did we just hire Cara? It's like, I think we did. So I'm like, well, if, if she's that good at, yeah. At, yeah. at that, I'm sure she can uh, execute on all fronts. Uh, um, you, you know, we're talking about Antonio, who's like our big, you know, when I fell in love with Antonio, Josh, is when I, I saw he had on his leg a re- like a Don Hertzfeld rejected tattoo. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen that, David? Uh, oh, yeah, I've seen rejected. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So I, I, Antonio has a rejected tattoo. And I was like, okay. If you haven't this asked the guy, him about he gets it. Yeah. If you haven't spoken to him about that tattoo yet, he has a great story about it. So I would, I, I won't, I won't tell. Oh. Him. Uh, okay. I don't, I don't want to keep you much longer, Josh, but I want to acknowledge a weird thing that like, well, I was talking in another episode of battleship pretension at some point about how at one point we all called trailers previews. And then we all learned that the industry term is trailer, right? <laughs> I yeah. don't know if this, you said show to show, and I don't know if that industry thing of referring to any job, be it a feature film or a movie, or whatever, as a show, I don't know if the people outside of the industry know that terminology, because it could be confusing, I think, to the people outside of the industry. A TV show is a show and a movie is a movie, but they're all shows. They're just jobs. Yes. I, I, I forget about things like that. Someone brought that up to me recently. They were like, "Is it's a TV show? And I was like, oh, no, no, it's a, it's a, it's a movie. It's just... I think just the term. Yeah. Where I learned that is I was, um, I was doing, I mean, over time, obviously, but the first time I particularly remember seeing that is 
I was working uh, as an art department intern on a, <laughs> the insane clown posse film, Big Money Rustlers. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I got some good stories about that too, but like. <laughs> Why is this episode not about Big Money Rustlers? <laughs> that, that, we'll have to put, put another one on the docket, but. Yeah. Patreon content. <laughs> She had a, the art director I was working for had a, a little piece of paper like stuck up to her um, computer somewhere that was to remind her of like what all the script versions were. So for, for those, again, not in the industry, like you start with your white script, that's the first version, then you make changes to that, that's the blue script, then you make changes to that, that's the pink script and so on and so forth. And there's a lot of color revisions. Um but normally you don't get too far into them. So what she had was like, you know, she had the list of them all in order and then down to like the seventh one or something like that. It just said, leave the show. (laughs) (laughs) Get this part of revision. Get out of there. Um, I do love the script coloring is like the obscure, like what do you get your spouse for your anniversary thing? Like it keeps getting <laughs> more like, it, like how many revisions until you get to like periwinkle? Yeah. Yeah. Gold is <laughs> not too far into there. Like I think yeah. that's four. <laughs> uh, all right. Well uh, you said you had to bounce. So I'll say uh, goodbye to Josh. Um, yeah. And absolutely. we'll, and we'll keep talking to, to Matt. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, for having me on there so far. And, and um, like, no, anything i haven't said already i'm i'm super excited about the project i'm i'm i will listen back and uh like to hear more of uh of uh matt's i, I like hearing some of the stuff that's inside matt's head about the script because we haven't talked a whole lot about that like oh. you know, a little bit and, and some of it is stuff that i i kind of gleaned but I, it's always fun to hear more uh all right well yeah so um we won't keep you any longer you you guys do have something to plug but we'll trust matt to plug uh the thing you're here to plug <laughs> all right bye josh thanks josh and, you know, I, and David, I mentioned this before we started rolling, but I, I was saying how I sort of think of um, the three fathers of this project and, and you feel free to disown us at a later date if you so choose, but <laughs> no, it's just embarrassing. The, the, the three fathers of this, this project have really been uh, uh, film independent um, Instagram and, and battleship pretension and a lot of the connections I've made with uh, creative collaborators through, through those three institutions. Cause I think it was at my 40th birthday party in downtown. You were downtown there in Los Angeles, not downtown Long Beach. No D- DTLA. Yeah. At that Chicago themed <laughs> bar that where you felt right at home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, well, I have yeah, that I was, push and pull between like, I lived in Chicago. So part of me put like feels at home, but also I grew up in St. Louis. So a Cubs logo is like the son to a vampire to me. So it's, it's, it's difficult. Uh, As a Packer fan, I feel the same way about the bears logo. So that was, that was tough sledding at that bar, but you were the one who meant who I wasn't even used to talking about the film out loud as an idea outside of my head. And I was doing so at that birthday party, trying to put it into reality and you were the one who encouraged me to get a hold of josh just to sort of sketch out um sketch out a shooting schedule and uh, initial budget pass and then obviously i worked with him on that and then that kind of evolved into him uh being one of the producers of the film so oh, so that glad i could help had its origins there so uh oh that's very that's very that's very uh i feel very humbled that i could help um uh, well, I want, uh, the other like more fun topic I wanted to get into, 
I don't know if you were, I, I don't know how far along you are in the casting or, or you've, you've, you mentioned some like uh, department heads or whatever, but are you doing the thing? Like I'm trying to think of what directors do the thing of like making their cast and crew watch certain movies uh, uh, as, as sort of background. Like if you, if you were to do that, what movies would you make the uh, other creatives involved uh, uh, watch? You know, it's, it's funny because uh, we were just talking about Kara, our casting director, who we brought on, and we were having a conversation with her this past week about um, our character breakdowns and, and, and kind of fine-tuning the descriptions and making sure she sort of uh, understood all of our characters. And um, it's a pretty evenly split ensemble film. If there is one primary character... Uh, it's this character named Grant who is um, so, sort of a twerpy uh, film student. And I was telling her that I pictured uh, I, I pictured that character in the vein of, um, oh my God, I'm totally blanking on his name. But uh, from Dress to Kill, uh, he was the reanimator. Uh, Jeffrey Combs? Jeffrey Combs. Yeah. Jeffrey, Jeffrey yeah. Combs in, um, dress to kill was my primary comp for that oh, okay. sort of, uh, protagonist character. Uh, and so I, uh, and I, I, I found that that's actually been the toughest part for me is thinking of, um, thinking of performers and performer types to, uh, slot into these characters because I I've not really written them for for anyone in particular, but um, I I do I, I guess they're based more so on people from from my life and who I knew when I was the age that the characters were and uh, had some of these same experiences with, um, but I I uh, you know it's been it's been interesting to kind of think through those sort of human details. Um, but in general, that's been the, odd, the oddest thing of this whole process for me is like turning, turning an idea from in, to, you know, bringing an idea from something that's purely conceptual to, mm -hmm. um, to like a material object. Um, and, and it, it's like really been a weird alchemical process to, to see that happen. I'm, I'm not quite sure I'm even doing it right, but um, I've certainly learned a lot as we've been going along. Um, so what, what, are, what else uh, are the, uh, the comps to use your, your term? You know, I, I, I don't really want to like just okay. throw ones out there. I haven't honestly thought of um, for, for well, yeah, the I don't characters. Make you. Yeah. yeah, I I don't want to I don't want to lead uh, honestly myself astray by trying to trying to force it. like that. That's something um, you know. This is a, this is sort of embarrassing to admit, but I actually realized that as I was putting this project together, I felt much more comfortable with all the sort of technical aspects of film production and uh, making this idea come to life, but the thing I was a little shaky on was performers and actors and how to interact with them. So I actually 
just got done doing eight weeks of improv class to try to learn a little bit more about performing and performers and the thought process so I can uh, at least have some of those tools in my tool belt when it comes uh, time to, to shoot later this year. Um, That's really so, fascinating. Where um, You don't have to name names, but what type of place did you do that at? Uh, yeah, I did it at a, a really great improv theater here in Long Beach called Held okay. Together, like H-E-L-D, the letter or the number two, G-E-T-H-E-R, okay. so Held Together. So not not uh, not UCB or Groundlings or anything, kind of a local a local one, but it was it was really fantastic. So if anyone is in this area of California, I really recommend them. Is this is getting off topic, but I'm just curious about doing improv classes right now. Like, are people wearing masks? Is it, are you Im, Im, improvising outdoors or like, is, is a proof of vaccination required? I'm just curious. Well, I, I would hate to speak to the theaters, um, you know, policies without being a part of the organization. But for right. my class, it was, um, proof of vaccination was a requirement to take the class. And then I would say about uh, half of us in the class were, were masked during every session. So, um, which honestly it's, it makes it a little, a little difficult sometimes to ask. I, uh, I would imagine <laughs> someone like, who's half especially covered. Yeah. Improvisation is so, so much about like reacting, right? Like, and yeah, you, you don't have as much to react to if you can't see a person's entire face. Uh, um, anyway, that, that was a digression, which I, <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I, improv was like, you know, it was a very strange experience. Cause I had never thought that that would be something I would do, but, um, I took the class initially thinking that I was kind of doing homework and brushing up on a skill set for the film as I described, but I found by week two, I was sort of, uh, you know, slipping, slipping into just kind of being obsessed with it for its own sake. And just, again, kind of like my interest in horror as a genre and particularly the mechanics of genre storytelling, the, the actual sort of performance mechanics of, of improvising. Um, I, I feel like I understood them pretty you know, pretty, um, immediately in the class, which, which isn't to say I was able to execute or perform them, but I at least understood the concepts of them. Um, and, and I, I don't know, it was really, I think everyone, I think everyone should take an improv class. It, it was a really, it was a really interesting experience. Yeah, that would be, uh, I mean, if you're supposed to, um, if you're supposed to try things that, terrify you then i i should definitely do improv because it's it sounds terrifying to me uh but i found it's i found it's one of the it was really one of those things like um you know you look worse the less you commit so even though it feels sillier to feel you feel more stupid going bigger it's actually less embarrassing than yes because i I can get that I definitely had the moments where I went halfway with something and kind of petered out. And then the embarrassment of sort of bailing on a scene I found to be much worse than just powering through with the stupid voice or the dumb decision that you made. So it's similar to how, when I was like college age, I thought I was like too cool to dress up for Halloween parties. But as I got older, I realized like, Oh, I'm the one who looks like an idiot. Yeah. Not, not dressing up. So now I, now I dress up for, 
for Halloween. Uh, well, um, is there anything else you, you wanted to say before we get to the thing you're here to plug? No, I mean, I, I again, I, my concern here was that I didn't want this to just seem like a big infomercial for the movie, but um, yeah, I don't think it was. I, I, I think the, the big lesson is that when you're trying to when you're trying to when you're an independent filmmaker and you're trying to sort of get your first project off the ground and you have resources like a friend who has a very popular film podcast that <laughs> you should you should not be afraid to uh reach out and uh and you know be your own advocate in terms of um of uh of of asking people um, for, for help in supporting your project in whatever way you can. So, uh, well, that brings I, I me on that. Yeah, go ahead and go ahead. That... Oh, I, I found that just true across every aspect of the okay. film so far. Um, I've had to just be, uh, uh, more outgoing than I would ever expect myself to be, uh, in, in sort of brazen in uh, asking for help. Uh, well, that brings me to a question that might be, uh, delicate, no pun intended, but I'm assuming any <laughs> aspiring independent filmmakers are are thinking. But like funding, how do you go about funding a movie? Yeah, well, I I think this is obviously the biggest and most interesting part of this, and I think it, I mean hopefully it will be helpful for people if I'm totally transparent about this, but. Uh, it, it has been uh, it's been difficult and a lot of the film so far has been financed um, uh, mm -hmm. putting it, a lot of it on credit cards and um, you know taking a lot of money out of savings just to sort of get it up on its feet and invest in the things um, I, I found the the most the hardest pill to swallow early in this process was the fact that I needed to spend considerable amounts of money just creating materials to make the film seem real to other people, like um, hiring an actual, uh, you know, professional graphic designer to do um, some key art, uh, hiring a storyboard artist to just mock up a couple of scenes that you know, didn't look amateurish, looked like a professional production stuff that, you know, is, is not anything that is directly going to be on set or on screen. Um, it, it's tough to see the value in investing in professionals to help you create those materials but that was really step one for me was to uh, pour a lot of my own money into getting, you know, a very professional lookbook put together by a graphic mm. designer to getting a nice poster put together into getting storyboards and all these little things add up. And you, when you put them together as a package to send to other people, whether it's potential investors or, um, or just people you hope will want to be your collaborators, um, you know, you want to seem like you're running a, a professional, uh, a, a professional, mm -hmm. um, show endeavor. Yeah. Exactly. A professional show. Exactly. As we learned. Yeah. Um, um, all right. Well, let's, let's get to the, the plug. 
Yes. And so, and so a lot of the film has been self-financed so far. Um, the good thing with this script idea is that it's fairly scalable, which means we can, um, you know, we have a number we would like to have, but we can make a version of delicate arch for less. If we need to, we don't want to, but, um, I, I assure everyone out there, uh, that some version of delicate arch will be made this, uh, fall. Um, you're shooting but, in the fall. Yeah, we're shooting in November in Utah, uh, which is coming up fast. Uh, yeah. And you know, we're, we're pursuing a, a a bunch of different financing uh, strategies at the moment. Um, if anyone out there is uh, a wealthy person who would like a uh, a tax write off. Um, you should contact uh, me through official channels uh, because we are, we are being uh, fiscally sponsored, uh, which enables um, donations to the film to be tax deductible. Um, so that, that is more applicable to sort of um, larger investors and donors who uh, there's a whole list of a menu of options there that I'd be happy to discuss with anyone who, could be interested in that, but for, uh, for civilians, for, for the general public, uh, we have a seed and spark uh, campaign that will be launching, um, on either, uh, September 7th or, uh, September 8th. Um, so, so by the time I, not, you're hearing this, it's already, it's already up because this uh, episode should be going up on the 12th or 13th, depending on my schedule in toronto <laughs> yes so that's perfect so I, by the time you're hearing this um our seed and spark should be uh, up and running um and we have uh, a variety of uh of tiers and options and great rewards and all that crowdfunding crap we're all used to at this point uh but uh you know i i it, it's 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 going to be a cool project and there's some very cool people uh working on it and um you know obviously as the guy at the center of it i would uh appreciate any support at any level um anyone would like to provide if they it, you know it all found any of the things we were discussing in this episode uh compelling in any way well thank you uh so uh, give the uh, Tell people where to find the seed and spark again, real quick. Uh, if you go to our website, which is delicatearchfilm.com, uh, or you can find us on Instagram at, uh, at delicatearchpick, uh, there will be plenty of links at both of those locations. Okay. Delicatearchfilm.com, delicatearchpick on Instagram. Uh, thank you um, for being here. Um, thank you. and, and thank you to, uh, I guess at this point, the, the departed Josh Long <laughs> for, uh, for guest, uh, co-hosting. Um, and, uh, you of course can find battleship retention at battleshipretention.com. You can find movie reviews and stuff there. Um, uh, including hopefully at this point, some uh, reviews from the Toronto international film festival. Uh, you can find that there. You can, you can email me at David at battleshipretention.com. You can email Tyler at Tyler at battleshipretention.com. And you can email me or you can follow me on Twitter 
at Davey Pretension. Also, make sure to check out my other podcast. It's called The One Where I Met Your Mother. It's a podcast where my wife and I watch an episode of Friends and an episode of How I Met Your Mother uh, every week. Um, I think, scheduling-wise, the most recent episode, we will have discussed the Friends episode, uh, the one with the hypnosis tape, which should be called The One with Giovanni Ribisi Stealing the Show, because he uh, shows up as Phoebe's younger half-brother and absolutely owns the entire episode. He's so great. Um, so and- I think I, I think I emailed you about this, but I, I started listening to the, the show recently and I, I, it's, I, I consider it my sort of like glass of audio wine at the end of the day. <laughs> it's like, it's been a long day working on film independent stuff, working on delicate art stuff. I'm just going to chill out and listen to an episode of the one where I went to your mother and oh, that's so great. Ha- have, that, have that ease me into the evening. <laughs> thank you well yeah find that um like again delicatearchfilm.com delicate arch pick on instagram anywhere else you want people to try and find you uh if you want to follow me personally on uh either instagram or twitter i'm mpm warren at both places and uh please do uh keep up with film independent and all the great stuff they're they're doing all year round all right well thank you again for being here uh thank you at home for listening and uh we'll get you next time bye bye This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.